0: Two minutes.
1: I'm Dapper Dan Gavaston, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man including the annuals which definitely count
2: and I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man including the annuals but Dan I'll tell you once I'll tell you again I'll tell you every single time we do one of these episodes the annuals don't count Well, I have no strong retort to that
1: at the moment. So what I will say is thank you for joining us for the third episode of season six of The Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe.
2: If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. This podcast exists because of the
1: support of our Patreon members. If you want to receive early episodes like these seasonal episodes, exclusive artwork, and help keep this podcast going, you can just go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com and you'll see a big button that says Patreon and it'll lead you to the rest. All it's up to you is to consider joining Patreon, enjoying
2: all the content we have to offer. And why would someone want to join Patreon, Dan? Because every episode of the season features artwork by comic artist Nick Cagnetti that is available to our Patreon members, unlettered and in stunning high resolution. I mean, my goodness, look at this thing. It's like one of those 15-inch HDTVs, right? Or even better than that, yeah, I think. Yeah, so
1: sharp you'll maybe poke your eye out. Woo! But in this season of The Amazing Spider Talk, we're going back to the mid-'80s when the Amazing Spider-Man title was handed over to one of the most legendary creative pairings in comics who were just starting their creative partnership, Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. It was a time of immense change in the comics industry, but together Tom and Ron returned Spider-Man to its Ditko-inspired roots To create one of the most beloved runs on the title.
2: Yes. And today we are also returning to one of our favorite recurring topics each season of our show: the Shall I Dan? The bad guys. Uh, See, I'm out of practice. The bad guys. There we go. From the lows of the Fool Killer to the heights of Dr. Octopus, we are cataloging all of Spidey's major and minor foes as they are introduced in each era of our show. This time, we are talking about the villains of the DeFalco Friends Run, many of which originated with inspiration from a deck of animal playing cards that the two shared. The Puma, Silver Sable... I mean that's kind of the end of the animals but still there are more many more of these villains made memorable debuts and have managed to last the test of time. That famous
1: deck of cards of which two villains would originate and are the title of our episode. Maybe a bit of an anticlimax, but Let me get to the good part. A Bad Guys episode wouldn't be half as fun without inviting back our favorite brotherly duo in comics podcasting. So due to popular demand and so the fool killer won't come after us from being, well, foolish directly from the screw it. We're going to talk about comics podcast. It's Kevin and Will Hines. Uh, Hey, guys.
3: Thanks for having us back. This is Kevin speaking first. And this is the similarly sounding Will
1: speaking. Thanks for having us. That's not going to be a problem at all for people to keep
0: up with. It's just some weird, unending monologue from each of you. As always, we're shamed by your preparation. Uh, I know you guys think you're not prepared, and maybe you're not. But compared to us, you are Kurt Busiek. Like, uh, you, you, you've you, got everything ready to go.
1: Well, that's very exciting. Famously, on the last Bad Guys episode, we all roundly criticized Mark for his love of the Fool Killer. And uh, I hope we can repeat some of that dynamic today, which is mostly just beating up on Mark. And, 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 um, and yet,
2: if memory serves, the Fool Killer was eventually outranked by the Mad Thinker. So, like, let's just, like, you know... Like, you know, you can you can all gang up on me all you want. But, you know, at the end, you know, I'm right. You know, like, like you just know I'm right. So anyway. Well, in one moment,
1: a brief, brief moment of praise for Mark. I do want to throw it over to Mark to talk about. What is the deal with this whole deck of animal cards that we are referring to? Tell us a little bit about this and the premise of why that's so associated with this episode of the show.
2: Well, well, you know, Dan, way, way back in the day, I mean, you might even say you can find such a conversation in our amazing Spider Talk Back Issues feed. It was uh, during our co- first conversation with the legendary Tom DeFalco. Uh, they discussed, you know, Tom discussed part of the creative process he had with Ron Friends. And one of them was like, oh. You know when we were we were trying to come up with some new villains and and they were kind of looking for for sources of inspiration. Whereas maybe you know I'm in my basement right now. I'm looking. I'm like ooh boiler pipe, uh, ooh NBA Jam mini arcade game. They're just like no, we got a deck of animal cards here. So we're gonna like go through the animal cards and you know probably some of the good animals were taken like an octopus or a snake or whatever. But they did hit upon things like a puma and you know let's make a villain called Puma. And a sable. What is what is actually a sable, Dan? I mean, do, 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 do you know or, or uh... it's a fox? OK, it is a
1: it is a, it is a type of fox. Well implemented Kaiser Sose naming method on on these villains, you know, name them up after what you see. And I don't know if they forgot about the existence of animals, but there you go. Pulling out a sable.
2: Yeah, so this is is what they used for inspiration, and then, you know, they came up with some other ideas, and then, you know, we're also going to be talking about some of the other B-books and the villains that were introduced in those, which were not the DeFalco friends from, but also by, like, Peter David and Jim Owsley and the like, but they all occurred... They all appeared in Spider-Man comics during this run. They've all had some level of an impact. You know, your mileage may vary. I'm just gonna go with it and just keep like banging this deck of cards gimmick uh, into the ground like it's our our you know like what we do. I mean, that's what our show's about. It's just you know killing jokes and beating dead horses. And we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna beat this this horse dead like it's uh, Ace of Spades, Dan. All right, so let's just let's just do it. I mean, you know that's 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 what I'm about, right? Now,
1: the mileage may vary here, so we're gonna rank all of these villains from a scale of two to ace. You know, just just to make it confusing, one is above two on the scale. You guys know how cards work. But before we get into any of that, Kevin and Will, I'm kind of curious to hear about. Your relationship with the uh, Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends run, you know, whether this was your first time preparing for this episode that you'd read it in a long time or maybe your first time reading it ever.
3: Sure. Uh, I th- My memory is these are the first comics that the first Spider-Man comics we got monthly. We had some old reprints and some uh, some of those uh, Dipco digests uh, and things like that. But we basically started like the very tail end of the Stern run. We'll started buying this. As at a comic shop. And so, most of what I remember reading was the DeFalca run, the uh, the stuff, the Milgram, Peter David stuff, and Spectacular. My poll list, my, my personal poll list, started with Marvel Team Up 149, which quickly became Web. So, like the first title I was getting and paying for myself was Web of Spider Man and Marvel Team Up. So, and that's roughly in this era, too. So, this is like, for me, it was like nine, 10 years old, reading monthly comics for the first time ever. These are the books. So I remember them fondly. I, I, it's hard to – the good ones and the bad ones. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I loved this as a kid. Often, like, I read them in and in, uh, I'm surprised sometimes by the art or, or the story beats, but I still love them, even the flawed ones. I just can't help it.
0: Uh, yes, just what Kevin said. We, these were the first ones we sort of got on a regular basis – This comic book store opened up near us, or we discovered it, or something like that, and so it was our first time being able to get comics on a regular basis, as opposed to just sort of seeing what happened to be at Walden Books or Seven Eleven when, you know, our mother took us there. So we this was the ones we passionately were scrutinizing. So this this era is very near and dear to our hearts. That said, I had not reread it in some time, so. in rereading it for this episode it was it was kind of it was the first time in a while i'd seen it and like a lot of things that you love as kids a lot of the flaws are more apparent to me it's still i still love it like kevin is saying and the good parts stand out to me a lot more it's funny how like something can loom so large in your memory when you love it as a kid and then you look at it as an adult you're like wait a minute did this story just end for no reason and like wait this character's called slide or whatever but yeah this era of amazing and spectacular is this is our sweet spot
3: yeah there's certain moment like it's it's less the characters and plot sets stand out to me it's like there's certain just like three panel sequences that i'm like oh i remember this perfectly for some reason uh and it it's baffling to me but then it's like puma shows up and i'm like i remember some things about the puma but then like Spider-Man says, like, one line of dialogue. I'm like, oh, this panel for some... And it's weird what sticks (laughs) in my memory. Because, yeah, I haven't reread these since maybe junior high, maybe high school. Once I left our house, I didn't have access to these issues. I didn't reread them ever again, for sure.
0: Yeah, but these are sentimental favorites for us. Well, very cool.
1: So um, I imagine the villains probably occupy some of that territory as well. Um, So I'd love to hear, you know, as we go through them, you know, your your recollection of these characters and where they kind of exist in your knowledge of Spider-Man. N- no better place to get started. Again, we're, uh, we're ranking these from a scale of two to ace, whatever that means. And uh, we're going to start off with, I'd say, not, not the king. This is more like the jack of characters. It's the Rose, first introduced in Amazing Spider-Man 253 by Tom DeFalco and Rick Leonardi. Uh Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Rose?
2: Well, I mean, you know, obviously famously named after the animal that looks like a <laughs> um <laughs> no. Um well, you know what? I'm actually I'm 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 going to I'm going to quote the the creator himself about the Rose. Does that work for you Dan or do you not want me doing Go that? For okay. It. Uh, I mean, you do your best Tom
1: DeFalco impression while you do this.
2: I mean, if he, if I do my my DeFalco imitation, it would just be like him being like, "You guys are a bunch of idiots." Anyway, when I created the rose, oh, I, I really won't do this. Uh, when I created the rose, I wanted a character in middle management. We had all the big crime lords, and then the second tier crime lords, and this guy was supposed to be second tier. He doesn't fight; he hires people to do the fighting. I put him in a mask and make him distinctive. It was not a plan that he would have a secret identity, but at some point later on, I was reading something about the big mystery of who is the rose. I didn't realize there was a mystery, so I realized I'd have to come up with something for the rose, and I figured I'd use Kingsley, because we already eliminated, eliminated him as the Hobgoblin, but he'd fit in perfectly as the Rose, which, you know, like all love for the Hobgoblin and the mystery aside, Dan, I got to say, like, Kingsley as the Rose just makes way too much sense for me, especially for how he's presented. He's this well coiffed, well put together villain in a like a pristine white suit and his little purple pullover uh, mask, if you will. I mean, yeah, he's he's uh, he's like the next level of 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 crime lord enemies. I mean, we had you know like I guess like he was then succeeded by Tombstone, but like you know I feel like we we got that first wave of of crime bosses with Kingpin and Hammerhead and cry master but like this is like the i mean is it considered still the bronze age at this point like the 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 bronze slash modern age criminal boss spider-man character and um and that's that's who the rose is what else is interesting to you about the rose dan
1: Well, I mean, it is important to say it. Ultimately, he was not Kingsley. Um, He turned out to be Richard Fisk, son of the Kingpin. Um, And Owsley would subvert DeFalco's intentions, as we've discussed many times on our Hobgoblin episodes of this show. In an issue of Web of Spider-Man, the rest was history. Um, The Rose remained uh, Richard Fisk, even after Stern would come back and, and get another chance at all the whole Hobgoblin mystery. You know, I I just this guy to me like as much as he's named the rose, he always seems to be trimming roses out of his garden. Like this guy just massacres his his uh, his his nice little like a uh, coterie of, of of plants there. Uh, I I I um as much as he like takes care of them, he's always trimming it. Uh, they, they catch him always at the right time too. So anyway, the rose is an interesting character. Uh, Kevin and Will, what are your recollections or feelings about the rose?
3: He's never shown not trimming his rose bushes. It's he too much. It's too on the nose, I feel like. Uh, I like the look of the rose, but he's got to leave those bushes. I don't know. Just once in a while, do something else. Find another hobby. But I like his look.
0: I like his look, and I do like the, the way the secret identity worked out. I love him being Kingpin's son. I had forgotten that, so when I reread this, it took me by surprise, and I think that was really cool. I don't think they made – they used that enough. I mean, that's such a rich story to have like, and because he's a rebellious son who doesn't like his father, and yet he is being a crime lord working for him and sort of trying to overthrow him. That feels really strong to me. I I guess maybe because Defaco didn't have that in mind from the get-go, it's not really like used a lot until sort of the ending couple of fights. So I see it as a wasted opportunity. I guess you guys have already talked the Hobgoblin mystery to death, but I don't like how the Hobgoblin identity ended up and... But I do like this one. I like I like Richard Fisk being the Rose. That makes him a lot more interesting to me. So, and I and I think his look is great. Like I think he's a really cool looking villain, and uh, uh, he definitely was one that I remembered. A cool look
3: does so much of the work for you. Just like, oh, he looks cool. I already kind of mostly like this guy, uh, no matter what he does at this point, because it's simple and and just memorable. I I think fondly of the Rose. I didn't realize he eventually dies or anything like that. I think that's during the period where maybe I wasn't paying as much attention, but I like like the Rose a lot. He
2: dies, he comes back. Does it really matter?
0: Yeah.
3: Nobody stays dead. I'm not too worried.
0: (laughs) I do like that tradition in Spider-Man comics of the middle-tier crime lords. Like, starting with, like, in the Ditko era, like, there was – Kevin and I noticed – this is not difficult to notice. There's always a guy who's offering to organize all the gangs together. Like there, Stan Lee thought one of the great villains of our age was an organizer, I guess like that. Because like there was always a person <laughs> whose strength was I'll I'll centralize you guys. I'll be the one who gives all the orders, right, Kevin? Wasn't there like four or yeah. five people that made that sales pitch?
3: Yeah. And um, they would just bring all the crime bosses together and just be like, Put me in charge. I'm new <laughs> and they're and they're always
0: yeah, like, Maybe, maybe we yeah, will. Maybe we will. <laughs> maybe we will. <laughs> And so the rose is kind of in that tradition, but he does seem really good at his job, right? He seems pretty competent and stuff. He's
3: really good at uh, having rose bushes. Uh, he's pretty good at organizing. Crime. He's excellent at having rose bushes. Yeah, for sure.
1: <laughs> I always loved the dynamic of how he handled the hobgoblin. who was more of a kind of like loose, you know, like, like, like just kind of a nutso, you know, who would fly in and out of his uh, home. And he seemed to have like uh this kind of firm idea of how he could leash that character. And, and use him for his own purposes, and and to me that always elevated the Rose's um, place in the universe. Just because the hobgoblin seemed like an untamable force, and suddenly, you know, immediately in their run, they want to elevate their villain over the previous guy's villain. And I think you know the Rose kind of fits that bill um, as a lot of other creators would do. To Knock the previous guy's villain down and come up with something new and and far superior. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I I really enjoy the Rose. He's got a great look and a great you know place in Spider Man's Rogues Gallery, and I'm glad that he's back from the dead now. Even though he just recently got beat up in a one panel in in a recent issue, he's a cool character. And and
3: uh, one of the rare classes, uh, uh, rather, a uh, characters that needs glasses. I like that. <laughs> yeah,
0: you don't see a lot of representation from the nearsighted <laughs> yeah. folks.
3: Yeah, Doc yeah. Ock and, and The Rose. I mean, I, yeah. I can't think of too many others. It's nice. I mean, original Peter Parker, but then he got rid of those.
1: And Mark, this is where you find yourself on the outs from well, all, all of us. I again, have corrected so. lenses
2: here, guys. So I mean I I, I you know I, I just have the vanity uh, angle going here. So, you know, I, I being called Marky Mark and the Four Eyed Bunch too many times as a kid, this this had its scars on me. So I went I went for contact. So you know, something comes out on these episodes every year. I just I just want to add though, Dan, you know, to your point, and this is not to to be disagreeable with our guests, because I, I love our guests, I love the Heinz brothers, but the when you had just mentioned regarding the Hobgoblin and kind of like how he kind of like, you know, the, the interplay that goes on there, to me that that it makes more sense because, you know, under the Falcon and Friends, you know, originally the Hobgoblin was supposed to be Richard Fisk, which is, you know, like the the, the merry-go-round of who was what. And I feel, again, like having Richard, you know, Fisk, you know, Kingpin's son as kind of this wild card character who has the goblin serum just kind of going off the rails and you know he wants he wants power in the criminal underworld but he's also going all over the place and you know like and having roderick kingsley the fashion designer be this well coiffed masked villain who you know is very kind of proper and you know no no we're gonna we're gonna run the underworld like a legit you know like you know he's he's stringer bell here i guess trying to be legit with his uh with his uh criminaling in or whatever you want to call it right now i don't know to me like if those identities played out as defalco and friends had intended i think like it does make sense in that regard too although i do see the angle of having Fisk be the rose making some sense too. But like, I, 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 you know, there's like that fanfic part of me that's like, if, if they got there, if, you know, the creators had the way. right? Yeah. Like,
0: Fisk is Hobgoblin and Kingsley as the rose makes more sense. I like that story better because then there's sort of, you know, the kingpin's son is like opposite of him in temperament. So that does, and that, but then yet he finds a father, he would in this hypothetical other world find a father figure with Kingsley similar to his own father. Yeah, that, that does feel right. But, I don't know. Given how these pieces got jumbled up, the hobgoblin's identity at this time I don't love, and the roses I kind of I kind of dig. So that's that's right up with it.
3: I I do think to to belabor this point, like uh, yes, let's belabor that dead the...
0: horse needs beating.
3: Yeah, let's beat that ace of spades. Is that what oh, I forget what card that was? The the hobgoblin feels less fun when he becomes the roses underling. Like he seemed such his own man for a while, and during this whole arc, he just sort of becomes like a hired thug working for the Rose, like it works in this, in isolation, but coming off of Roger's Stern's run, it's like, oh, Hobgoblin already feels less, a little less cool during this stretch. Um, still a cool look, but.
1: Yeah, I, I think DeFalco and friends like made the mystery of the Hobgoblin more enticing, but like brought down the uh, allure of the characters like power set and, and all of those things. But we've talked about the Hobgoblin to death. Let's rate the rows on our scale again, two to ace, um, which will remain elusive the longer we do it. But, Why is this uh, we'll so difficult the, uh, for
2: you? It's uh, the two is the low card, ace is the high card, Dan. What 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 is this? Have you have you ever played poker, Dan? <laughs> you know, never. Okay, uh, a pair no, a, actually, a pair of aces but... beats a pair of twos, John. Uh, John, I just called you my son because I'm so frustrated with you, Dan. Okay. <laughs> We're revealing a lot here.
1: Uh, yeah, go ahead, uh, Will. Why don't you get us started? I'm gonna
0: do okay. I got to be honest. I don't think any of the villains. Re- no, that's not true. I don't think too many of the villains today we're doing are that strong. But I think the rose is solidly okay. I'm gonna give him an – I want to say nine, but he look. I'll give him a. I'll give him a ten. Hearts. I guess they look the most like roses. All right. All right, Kevin, take it away.
3: I I was also thinking ten uh, without, without. I agree. I like a lot of these characters, but I don't think any of them are face card necessarily quality uh i don't think we'll see if i change my mind as we go through but like 10 was what i was thinking for
2: the rose i was thinking 10 of diamonds
1: that that makes that makes so much sense yeah uh mark
2: uh, okay i'm uh, i'm you know in my typical fashion I'm, I'm gonna raise the bar a little bit i think he's he's a jack of diamonds i think like the rose has been well deployed i'm i'm gonna i i and maybe it's i'm i'm already kind of preempting you know who's to come on this list and i feel like you know rose is very upper tier for this list that we're about to discuss so for me he's he's a face guard he's a jack of of, of hearts. i'm gonna
1: say jack of i'm gonna say jack of spades mostly because i don't know what a spade is or where it fits in here but uh but jack uh, jack jack uh, jack for me All right, so we're moving on from one industrialist with a lot of money to another one, and that is the Puma, uh, alter ego of Thomas Fireheart. Mark, tell us a little bit about the Puma.
2: Well, he he is a, a Native American bred to be the perfect warrior, prophesized to stop a future threat that might destroy the world. Um, one could argue whether or not this threat was ever manifested. Uh, he could also transform into a mountain lion werecat at will. He is actually from the deck of cards, uh, a Puma, of course, being uh, derived from the animal Puma. Mr. Fireheart Thomas Fireheart of course uh he as you referred to Dan is a wealthy industrialist in this case he runs Fireheart Enterprises uh but you know like all good mercenaries in uh, excuse me like all good industrialists in the uh Marvel Universe he does a little mercenary work on the side you know a little 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 criming a little light treason uh when people aren't looking you know sometimes he's like operated as Spider-Man's ally over the years he even offered him a job he like sent him on a honeymoon during this uh uh, an annual issue of spectacular I mean we don't know if it actually counted it, it, it's all part of it um, I
1: bought that issue on my honeymoon oh I mean, very uh, sweet t- talk about kismet there and a very forgiving wife well I, what are you gonna do anyway.
2: I mean you know she I'm surprised she didn't turn into the Puma when you uh, spent your money on your honeymoon on comics like that I feel like in terms of like the 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 historical lineage of this character I mean he was primarily featured during this run um, but I, I I do have memories of him kind of extending into like the early mid 90s of comics there's a very uh standout cover i think it was mark bagley and jan de that run in like the late 300s of asm where the puma is is on that It was that web of life or one of those one of those storylines anyway what are everyone else's thoughts about puma dan do you want to start I really like the Puma. I actually think the
1: guy has been underutilized in in the Spidey office. I I think it's a cool character. You know, maybe may replaced in like the JMS run by like a character like Ezekiel, but uh, if only because of the industrialist element. But I think it's a cool angle for this character. Um, I think this type of character is a little overutilized in the Ron Friends Tom DeFalco run. We'll get to talking about. Silver Sable in a moment I think the Whole like Native American Warrior thing is a unique Take and his particular Motives I think are really interesting You know anytime you put Spider-Man Either allied with or Up against someone with money There's an interesting contrast there and like Ultimately there's a fun story where The Puma or Thomas Fireheart Buys the Bugle and begins Running pro Spidey editorial until He sells it back to Jameson for a dollar Yeah I don't know I've always been a big fan Of the Puma and I'm surprised that no one brings Him back for interesting stories that You know either fling Spider-Man to another part of the world Or get him involved with Like a Native American culture in some Way it just seems like an opportunity To put Peter into up against A whole kind of different world of Of threats and and Things and um, yeah I've Always had a soft spot for the Puma how about How about you Kevin
3: I I agree with a lot of what you say. I think he's underutilized. I think he's a, another character that's got a really cool look. His first storyline, I think, is really fun, even though it's a little craveny. He's just basically a, a, a Puma craven. But I like it. I think that first storyline's good. And again, he looks so cool. But I will say, as a kid, w- when Puma would show up on the cover of an issue, I would be like, ah, nuts. I didn't like him. He was. He didn't. The stories rarely interested me after this first story. So when he would start coming back, I never. I was kind of bored by the Puma, but I think that plays into just like I don't think he was used well. I don't think his stories were that interesting to me. So like, I, I don't. I'm not excited about the Puma, but I do think you could do really great Puma stories, and I just don't know if I've read them. They're also, they might have existed. I, you know, there's a whole 90s era uh, uh, where I wasn't reading a lot. So maybe, maybe there's some great Puma versus Ben Riley stories I missed out on. But uh,
0: I, uh, he's great potential, so so character. I, well, I, I, I agree. I think Puma's a, I'll say it harsher than you, Kevin. Puma's a dud. I think he's a dud. I think the stories are boring, but I don't know why. Because on paper, there's a lot to like about him. I think they lean too much into the hunter aspect and not enough into the divided loyalties, like the noble representative of the tribe versus making money. Uh, The sort of outcast were Native Americans in a a country that uh, puts a lot of racism against them. But he is kind of a high status over, you know, do-gooder. So – they didn't really make a lot of that in these stories, and I felt the same way as a kid. If it was a Puma cover, I wasn't psyched, I, and it doesn't feel fair, but I – for whatever reason, the result is Puma stories are duds.
3: Some of that might have been that that Secret Wars 2 story with him was real bad. So the Secret Wars 2 taint is kind of on Puma for a while. That's true. That's head. true.
0: That might, That might be what did it. But uh, I think too much power is not enough emotional backstory make the Puma. Who cares? I,
2: I, I will just say to kind of pile on here, you know, you're you're, you're kind of questioning. Like, yes, I, I agree. Good look. There's a there's some intrigue to the backstory there. But why doesn't he work? I just don't think he's a good Spider-Man villain. I just don't. I, I think that, you know, like I think, you know, what, what goes into a good Spider-Man villain, you know, or, or I was even going to say like an Iron Man villain, you know, kind of like, you know, like a wealthy, new yeah, you, know, you kind of go with like the business to business, you know, like like you always, you know, I, I, you know, there's the the animal element to Spider-Man that has always kind of like like perforated the villains uh, in his rogues gallery. I mean, but, re- regionally, regionally, he should be Hulk, right? He's
0: southwestern America in the desert. That would set him up against the Hulk a lot. And he turns into a beast but he's in control, there might be there might be some interesting parallels there. And
2: like I know that there's like, you know, I guess some like ethical dilemma with Peter and Spider Man in terms of like, well, he's got this money and you know, like you know, like Dan, the storyline you referred to him like buying the bugle and being pro Spider-Man is just, you know, it's just it's just responsible, you know, but like it, it's 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 kind of flimsy to me. Like it, it's like I, I like the villain, but I just don't like him in a Spider-Man comic. And I think that's part of the reason why he just has not been used, because it's like, you know, really, how do you how do you use him over the long term in a way that make, that that doesn't turn him into Craven? Like, which is others have noted, noted is like, you know, the other direction you can go there. But it's, you know, that that seat has been taken. Yeah, it, it, it's it's just wow. kind of lackluster for me. I wouldn't call him a dud. No offense, Will. But I would I would say I would say lackluster. <laughs> I mean, yeah,
3: I think he could work as a Spider-Man villain. I think him being a, um, a successful businessman and sort of an outsider who's like turned it into a success could be a neat thing to put up against Peter Parker and Spider-Man. I don't. I like him more as a villain than as an ally. I'll be honest. I think as an ally, I don't have much use for him. He doesn't do much for me. But as a villain, he's interesting. I do get bored of. I do it for the money as my only motivation. It's like, oh, why am I hunting Spider Man? Because someone paid me to. It's like oh, I don't care. Then I don't like characters that whose main motivation is getting paid. And I don't think that adds a lot. I like. I I do like Craven more because like Craven like. Wants to hunt the spider for the challenge yeah. of it. He wants to get paid too, maybe, but he has to pay for all his pelts or whatever. <laughs> but he does it for the challenge. I like that way more interesting than though the puma sort of gets into the challenge of it a little bit. But again, the business side of him is more
2: interesting. But yeah, he's not great.
1: <laughs> Craven's laser nipples say, it don't d- install themselves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: right.
2: So so dud. What does that mean on the card scale? Will
0: for you? There are actually worse duds, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put the puma at. Gosh, I know he's got the potential to be a Jack, but in these stories, he's a seven, my friends. Puma's a seven. Once again, I'm going just barely over Will. I had
3: him as an eight, probably an eight of clubs. Going to ex- suit everything, even though it doesn't mean anything. Seven of diamonds
2: of cl-
0: for the Diamondbacks. Okay. He probably roots for the Diamondbacks. Oh, that's good, good. good call.
2: <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm going to split the difference here. I'm going to do eight of diamonds because I'm, I'm going to take a little from both of the Heinz brothers here. So.
3: Okay, <laughs>
1: And I'm going to go with nine. I just have a soft spot for the Puma. And uh, nine of hearts because he goes straight to my heart.
3: His look alone should elevate him. Like Ron Friends designed a cool looking guy, man.
1: Ab- absolutely. So um, leaning into uh, design elements, it's in her name Silver Sable, introduced in Amazing Spider Man 265 by Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. Mark. Tell us all about Silver Sable.
2: I mean, longtime uh, followers of both this show and of Chasing Amazing probably know how much I love Silver Sable, sarcasm indicated. She is the founder and owner of Silver Sable International from Simcaria. She runs a group of mercenaries called the Wild Pack. I always love when they bring the Wild pack back and they give them their own series. And that comic usually lasts like two issues because who's going to read about the Wild pack? Anyway, notable for her entirely silver outfit and hair, which um, turns silver after her mother's death. Of course, she is, in fact, from that infamous deck of cards, which the Sable again is a what is that, Dan? It is a it's a fox. It's a fox. She's a foxy Sable. She's got no superpowers. She's just really good at fighting. And like, you know, she's just, you know, like such a good mercenary. She's kind of like Nick Fury, but silver. She starts sort of as a foe of Spider-Man's, but then, you know, kind of becomes like the enemy of my enemy is my Silver Sable. I mean, she even later on has feelings for Spider-Man, pointing to Dan Slot. Didn't see that one coming and then rescued. And you would never hear about it again either. Yes. And then even further, rescued by the foreigner who is her ex-husband and used an LMD to get revenge on those who wronged her and her country as she recovered in the the hospital. What a backstory, Dan. Uh, What else is there to say about Silver Sable?
1: Well, I think, you know, one of the interesting things about her is that she's kind of uh appeared in like video games over the years she's kind of got an elevated like media persona like even in the animated shows silver Table was a pretty frequent staple and i don't really get why because i like you mark am not the biggest fan of the character i just don't really get her other than the fact that it's a uh, Like sexy female villain for Spider-Man or on again off again ally but like I feel like that spot is already taken by Black Cat in the most interesting ways so I don't really understand the presence of Silver Sable in the kind of Spidey media landscape. She's fine, and I won't begrudge Ron Friends and, and Tom DeFalco one of their creations going on to bigger things. But I've never really gotten the appeal of Silver Sable, maybe outside of her very silvery design.
0: Uh, Heinz Brothers, anything to say about Silver Sable? Kevin, let me go first so you can get the last word. Okay, I think this is the opposite of Puma for me. On paper this character shouldn't work at all it's a redundant half seems like a redundant sort of half idea mishmash of like pretty lady villain anti-villain but in practice I love it I love Silver Sable I think my I think my opinion is bolstered by her appearance in the 2018 video game she was really fun in that video game I think and so that might retroactively make me just kind of like her appearances in these stories which I admit are uneven But I I don't know, something about the look, it's funny you were saying about Black Cat. Black Cat is definitely a superior character to Silver Sable, but Black Cat is such a ripoff of Catwoman to me that at least Sable is distanced from Catwoman and yet has the potential to sort of capture a lot of that sort of same role. The Simcaria stuff works for me, the whole like hero back home, villain over here Kinda of reminds me of a Magneto situation. Like she protects her own and has no mercy for anybody else. The test of am I excited to read a story if she's on the cover? She passes it. I'm like, I'm curious to see what happens. So not a dud. Uh not as not as well thought out as some of the other villains, but I'm I'm pro Sable. So this is the character I was most
3: nervous about talking about because I feel like Silver Sable's very, very popular. Uh, I don't know if that's true. She feels like she's very popular. And I was like, oh, Dan and Mark are going to love Silver Sable and I'm going to come in as the low man. I don't like Silver Sable. Again, she's another character that's a mercenary. I'm not interested in mercenaries. I don't care about some, you know, characters that pull Spider-Man out of New York, but she doesn't really do it for me as a character that's like bringing him on international spy missions. It doesn't work for me. Nothing about her is exciting except for, as Will said, she's great in the video game. It's a great role for her as sort of these the police force that's brought into the city that uh, I think she's really, really fun in that game. I really like that character in that game. It doesn't elevate her in the comics for me. I've never read a comic with Silver Sable where I was excited to see her. I'm bored by her generally. Like, uh, I, like, yeah, I'm tr- Dan Slott had a couple stories where she was OK. And to me, I was like, what an achievement <laughs> uh, that I'd, I'm not bored by this character in this moment. Like, the the storyline works. Uh, I don't remember that, that she had feelings for him. I, every character seems that... I also forgot Jean DeWolf had feelings for Spider-Man, which doesn't work for me <laughs> tremendously. Uh, but anyway, uh, my point is Silver Sable is a dud. No, <laughs> not, not quite a dud, but I, I don't like her. I think she's boring. She's bland. I
2: would just say, like, what are the memorable Silver Sable stories? And I I I agree with what you're saying. I, right. But I would say, like I mean, like to your point, Kevin, like there's clearly a popularity there because she's in video games. She's had her own spin-off series and miniseries. I mean, I made the joke about like, you know, there was one where I think it was a couple of years ago, Marvel released one issue to see if it would sell enough to justify a second issue. And it did not. Um, but I mean, there was a series in the nineties, I think ran for like 30 or 40 issues or so. I mean, like, you know, so like, there is, you know, there is a fan base there clearly, but like, I, I cannot for the life of me. Uh, the only story that I think of when I think of Silver Sable is when she gets beaten to death, presumably by, was it, Rhino in Ends of the Earth? Or, yeah, so, like, and and it's not that I particularly like Ends of the Earth, but I'm like, oh, yeah, that's when she got beaten to death, except she didn't actually die. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, I can't think of, and certainly not from this era, I cannot think of stories that are all that memorable. It's just, like, she's this there. And, yeah, there's, I guess, you know, sex appeal, if you see it like fictional you know, illustrated characters in that regard. Um, but, you know, again, if you, if that's how you see it, I think you got more in black cat. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, like what do you, what do you got here? That, that, that is your big takeaway with this character.
1: I really like silver as a color scheme. That's my, that's, <laughs> that's my thing. So let's get to uh, rating these. Uh, okay. For all, I, I for guess all we've my decided
0: talk. I'm still going no higher than a nine. I'm going to go in nine for Sable. Hearts. Cause I love her. Wait, no. Clubs, because she's got a club. Wild, the Wild Kids are a club. Nine o'clock.
3: <laughs> wild Pack. I think she'd be a good Iron Fist villain, uh, anyway, uh, or Heroes for Hire character. Uh, uh, I put her as a five. Uh, uh, I do think she could be worse. Like there's, I and mean, maybe that's all the video game. Maybe she'd be a two or three otherwise. But I can, I now can
2: see some potential with her. I make her a five of clubs as well. Because of the wild pack, I'm gonna do six of diamonds. Because I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I'm not a fan. I'm really not. And if it wasn't for the the pop culture peripheralation, I would have probably gone two or three. But yeah, six,
1: five of diamonds for me. Uh, I guess diamonds are silver. How am I the second <laughs> highest on this?
2: That's crazy. I, I mean, you know, that is thank, Like, thank goodness for you, Will. You you kind of saved me there. So thank you. <laughs> I saved your credibility. yeah. But, and I look like Marky an Mark and his Silver Sable. Uh, I, I mean, like, I, I've literally been ripping on this character since I started chasing amazing years ago. Like I'm always just like Silver Sable, who I hate. Anyway, so there you go. <laughs> so
1: this next one will be interesting because this character is not a spider. Man villain um, but has a very Memorable storyline from this Run that it's kind of Controversial so that Character is Fire Lord who Was introduced in Thor number 225 by Jerry Conway and John Buscema here he shows up in Amazing Spider-Man 269 and 270 we could go back and Forth on uh, on this I think the Real discussion to be had Here is Fire Lord Herald of Galactus should Spider-Man be able to go toe-to-toe with this guy? Do we think that's appropriate in the pages of these comics?
2: Let's let's be real here, Dan. The only reason why there is a true controversy here is because Dan Slott had to open his big fat mouth on Twitter uh, a few years ago and be like, No way could Spider-Man beat Fire Lord. I mean, you know, most, <laughs> most hardcore fans are just like, Yeah, he kicked Spider-Lord's butt. It's so great. I mean, I, you know, like, what, what are we like. complaining about here? <laughs>
3: I like Mark, the uh, master of a thousand comic book writer voices.
2: <laughs> Geriatric Dan Slott is what we just got. Uh, <laughs> right. but, um,
1: Ger- fair Dan, enough. Dan um, Slott beats
2: Jimmy Stewart. Anyway, continue. <laughs> but but yeah, like I'm, you, you,
1: I'm, you could you could argue this. Like, I don't love that Spider-Man beats up the X-Men in Secret Wars. You know, like, is that more preposterous than than beating up Firelord? I, I I don't know. So Some yeah, will jump sense. in here.
0: I mean Spider-Man's an incredibly powerful character. Like it there some X-Men. I could see him taking out Cyclops pretty easily and uh Angel pretty easily, Beast, yeah. I mean, really Phoenix no, Rogue no, but like Colossus no. All right, it gets rough. Firelord no way. He, I mean, the the only way he should beat Firelord is some sort of game of wits or like a Dark Knight returns style using all possible resources just to stun Fire Lord momentarily like Batman does to Superman in Dark Knight Returns. Like that should be it. Or you're sort of straining the credibility that said Fire Lord's a dud. Fire Lord's a dud. I think too many heralds of Galactus is running around talking about their power. Cosmic Galactus got to take their power back and make them get a minimum wage job. Enough of these guys running around destroying planets and stuff like that.
3: Not to, to relitigate the secret wars. X Men fight. I think Spider Man could win. He didn't win the fight. Will and I talked about this a little bit on our podcast. He sort of knocked them back and ran. I buy that from Spider Man. If yeah, he had if the element of surprise, prolonged. If it was a prolonged battle, he should lose. But he could knock Wolverine over, surprise Storm and and, and Cyclops or whoever is there, and get out of there. No problem. I mean, Professor X then like erases his memory. I mean, that's questionable use of his powers, particularly at that time. But you know, the, the X Men win in the end there. Anyway. I don't think, I think Spider-Man could beat Fire Lord. Any character can beat any character if written well. I think the complaint, I think this was Dan Slott's complaint, but maybe not. It was just that he wins by just punching him a lot. And that is sort of a boring resolution. Like compared to the Juggernaut resolution where he punches him a lot and that does nothing. He hits him with a gasoline truck and it does nothing. He has to like sink him into concrete to slow him down for a while, for a few months. Like there's nothing like that here. That So it's missing that sort of fun resolution to it. As a character, I think Firelord's okay. He's a bottom tier good herald of Galactus. He's not like the Airwalker. I think there's one that's the Airwalker. That's like, uh, there's a couple real lame ones. He's certainly not the Silver Surfer. Uh, and he's certainly not as fun as Terax. So he's like below those two as heralds go. But he's got an okay look. I think it's fun to see him go up against Spider-Man briefly, but when it when it comes down to it, like the re- the end of that story, I'm just sort of like, and you win.
2: I feel like if you're a, you're a Herald of Galactus, you already have like kind of a semi decent baseline. But 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 to your to your point, Kevin, I, I'm glad you brought up the Juggernaut story because I feel like that's that's always what I think of with the Firelow story because it's like it's almost like a a, a page for page. Regurgitation of Juggernaut. And then, but then, like, we get to the end, and Spider Man is just like, F this, I'm just going to cut the Gordian knot and punch him until he, like, you know, is unconscious, and the Avengers stop me. And it's kind of like, oh. Uh, oh okay i mean you know that's that's a cool visual if you love spider-man but like you know it also sets up you know countless uh debates on twitter when like spider-man gets into a fight with the vulture and loses like no this is the same guy who beat up fire lord what are you talking about and it's just like all right yeah like I, I, you know uh, thousand yes, voices uh, there we go again <laughs> I, I <okay. laughs>
3: That's voice eight, I think. Okay, keep, 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 keep trying. It going, keep it going. <laughs> yeah, I just don't think it'd
0: be dishonorable for <laughs> Spider Man's victory, quote unquote, over Firelord to be holding him off until the Avengers show up. I, I as a fan, that wouldn't bother me. That's like smart and I don't know. That's that's what I kinda wish it was or, yeah, or I mean, some like, kind of more creative solution like juggernaut like some kind I of- mean Spider-Man's fought the Hulk he's fought very powerful
3: people and like those are fun stories when they're done well I mean also this story suffers cuz like he's fighting Firelord cuz Firelord got pizza and people attacked him and like and Spider-Man attacked him and he ch- like the Juggernaut had like the heart of the story it's like he had to stop the Juggernaut from killing somebody and then get back at him like serve justice because he had killed somebody right this is just sort of like I don't know. Talk to him. Get him to leave the city. It's like, hey, man, I, I know you're just wanting a pizza. New York's not that kind of place. We don't have a lot of aliens dropping by. Oh, cool. I'm out of here then. I'll head over but to But I said the, the pizza sequence there. made me smile. Like I when said, he was in the pizza funny. place. Pizza's so good. It'd be a very funny issue of Silver Surfer. I don't hate this story. I just think it is not great. That's all. It's I'm, just flat compared to the other similar stories.
1: I'm an unabashed fan of this story for one reason, which is. You know, in the Juggernaut story, Juggernaut is really indifferent to Spider-Man's presence. Here, Fire Lord takes it on the offensive at a certain point. And to the point that Peter quits mid mid story and has to convince himself like why he, you know, like why he needs to get back in the battle with Fire Lord. And I really like that emotional beat in the story. That he's is good. Like, he's like, I could disappear. He doesn't know what I look like. And let me get out of this. But he chooses to engage, and that feels like a real like Spider-Man decision. Um, and I think it's a really great moment in, in this comic. You're right. I don't love the ending, but I do love all of the like you know myriad of ways he softens up Fire Lord by blowing him up in the conveniently demolishing building and. And, and there's
3: two different buildings needing demolishing in this story.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I think there's a great panel of Fire Lord like zipping through multiple uh, buildings um, that just elevates the scale of this to a, a huge extreme. Canonically, uh, Fire Lord is supposed to be able to move at the speed of light. I don't know how Spider-Man stops that character, but I think, you know, for a, a short little aside like this, I'm totally OK with it. And I, I'm an unabashed fan of this story despite the ending. Yeah, the points
3: you bring up are good points. Like Spider Man kind of go back into civilian is cool. The fact that Fire Lord is chasing him is cool. I I, I feel like more could be done with that than was done in this story, but uh, those are good points.
0: All right. So let's, of, get of, our, let's get to our <laughs> ratings here. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm so, so swayed. A, Fire Lord's a five for me. He's a five.
3: I put him as a four. It's weird to put him below Silver Sable, but I am uh, a f- four of hearts. It's the His video in the game because right I have the
0: same thing. Like I'd rather see it. The video game has like elevated Sable in my mind. Not that she was so incredible there, but she was fun and good there.
3: No, she's really fun in that game. I think it's a great sequence in that game. Like when the scene when she drops out of the jet and like lands. and yes. There's some really great moments where I'm like excited. in that. when I've replayed the
2: game, I'm like, oh, here's this Silver Sable sequence. Yeah. The story's a ten, but the villain's a five for me.
1: And I'm similar to Mark. I think I think uh, he's like a three or four. I never need to see another Spider-Man versus Firelord storyline. Yeah. I just, you know, like we got that something can stop the Juggernaut. Fine, you can. I, I'm cool with revisiting Spider-Man versus the Juggernaut. I, I don't need it with Firelord. Has he come back? Has he ever come back in a Spider-Man story? Not to my knowledge, no.
3: Well, then I assume that no.
1: So speaking of someone who appeared once and then randomly came back, it's Manslaughter Marsdale introduced in Amazing Spider-Man 271. Whatever happened to Crusher Hogan from Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. Mark, you and I have discussed being huge fans of this comic, but are we fans of the villain of this comic, Manslaughter Marsdale? An interesting character. And um, one of the interesting things that I learned in our history of the show, uh, all the way back in Superior Spider Talk 14, when I interviewed Ron Friends, was that uh, he was originally drawn as a white man, uh, but the colorist assumed he was black because of how Ron drew his hair. And so you've got this, you know, I I think fairly unique villain in Manslaughter Marsdale, at least, uh, you know, not very many Spider Man villains of. Of a different race And uh, so I I think Manslaughter Marsdale stands out uh, No matter what you think of the character So Mark anything you want to add about Manslaughter Marsdale this Very strong boxer Uh, I
2: I, I, I do Want to add on a personal note that for the Longest time whenever I Saw the cover of Amazing Spider-Man number 271 I mean it, it has the title Whatever happened to Crusher Hogan but there is this Hulking black man Uh, standing over Spider-Man, and and I was like, wait, is that Crusher Hogan? Oh, wait, no, no, no. It's Manslaughter Marsdale, which, I mean, might speak to... Really, what my takeaway from that comic is about the villain itself, but uh, just to give a little more of a biography here, I will, I will um, add that Marsdale worked for Madame Fang, who was set up to be another ganglord, a ganglord in New York City, but actually never really appeared again. Uh, he had an operation that removes his ability to feel pain. Um, get me some of that next time I run a marathon. And kind of the uh, the the impetus of this issue is he wants to keep this young boxer Bobby Chase to remain with his gym and he's willing to do anything to keep him there. So, Heinz uh, Brothers, do you have anything to add about manslaughter Marsdale?
0: Stories of 10, villains at three. Mm-hmm. Wish he was better, but what a story. Like, my one of the, the best issues of this run for me really moves me. When Cresher Hogan gets back to his apartment and it's filled with Spider-Man posters, I was legit taken aback. I'd forgotten about that moment. Such a cool... Looking at something from the other side. Just a, a terrific, terrific issue. The villain doesn't need to be good. The Crusher Hogan's emotional arc is the star of this issue. But if you're asking me to rate that villain, that guy's a three. Whoops, we weren't supposed to do numbers yet. I just, uh, I'm not into him. Jump
2: of the gun.
3: I'm going to say everything you guys have just said. Uh, great story. The Crusher Hogan stuff is great. It's a really fun ending. The villain's boring. He's, I mean, Spider-Man's got a bunch of these like villains that are just like a strong dude. And I don't like almost any of them. <laughs> You know, this is a uh, the meteor man or a guy named Joe, it's just a guy who punches hard. It's just boring. I have no interest. If, I never need to see this character ever again. I'd rather see him fight Fire Lord again. There's something there. <laughs> but uh, the story's great. The story's great.
1: Well, it's funny because he would show up again. And I had totally forgotten about this, but he shows up an amazing Spider-Man 309 from the Michelinie run in like the opening. And he's like, I got to go tell Madame Fang. About Spider-Man <laughs> and again We would never see Madame Fang So uh, there was some setup Up there for something that we never got And then he would show up Again in various other titles most Notably Dark Rain he had like a Prominent role in a few issues There I don't know why maybe somebody Was fond on this Particular issue of Amazing Spider-Man and Thought "Man, manslaughter Marsdale that's A guy who needs to be brought back I, This I don't feels agree, like one of those characters
3: that's Trotted out in a Punisher story when you need Punisher to kill somebody or any character. Where it's like, oh, we need a bunch like uh, it was like some story on where the hood had a bunch of D list villains working for him. I can imagine manslaughter being one of those. It's just like, oh, there's not there's no hook. There's nothing interesting about him. What's his character? I don't know.
1: I always love the lengths that these normal uh, characters have to be like justified uh, to to fight Spider-Man. It's like, OK, we have the strong guy, but we know a strong Spider-Man is so will say that he had an operation to remove his ability to feel pain, you know, and it's like, uh, OK, that's pretty random that this guy is is that guy. I guess you could say he's an elite boxer. So maybe that benefited him in some way. Uh, I just love like seeing the lengths writers go to to justify why they're having Spider-Man just fight a dude.
3: I feel like if I didn't feel pain, I would get I would lose faster. Because I I wouldn't, like, hold back. I'd be like, I can take this. I'd be out cold. (laughs) What happened? He punched you.
2: I didn't feel anything.
1: Mark, what are your thoughts on Manslaughter Marsdale? I mean,
2: just echoing what others have said, I mean, this individual comic is one of my favorite stories from this run and one of my favorite stories from Amazing Spider-Man period, but it's not because of Manslaughter Marsdale. (laughs) I'm just as happy to jump to the grades here. There's not much to say about the character beyond, like, eh, another... Diamond doesn't, <laughs> you know, like you said, strong guy who can punch people. Thing so,
3: yeah. Mark's famously a silver sable. I fan mean,
2: you know, so there's enough room for get, get, put a little more silver brushing on that that, that 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 like you know leather black jacket, and I'm there for sure. So he does have those silver
1: knuckles, so mm. maybe, maybe that gets him a little <laughs> more into your in, into your camp. Put there. him
2: in the wild
3: pack.
1: Ooh. Add him to the
3: wild pack. Now we got some. Yeah, let yeah. him learn
1: a little something. Put in a- Simcaria
0: could use a little diversity, anyways. Uh, make <laughs> that's it true. New, new. Make him a Herald of Galactus. New, new final. <laughs> new final boss with and, no power upgrade. I see. I a- <laughs> would
1: read a manslaughter Marsdale Ace comic.
3: <laughs> oh Ace! Oh man! Say, There's a shout out. Are you saying? Anyway, are you saying? Well, you
0: an- gave him a three. Uh, three. Do you want to say what uh, suit? I'll say I'll say clubs because he's in a boxing club. Mm. I appreciate
1: how much you thought about that. You mm. really took
3: a pause <laughs>
1: to, to make that the right choice. Uh, Kevin, how about you?
3: Two, two of clubs. There's nothing interesting about this guy for me.
0: Yeah, it's probably it's probably what I should have done. I'm
2: gonna say two of hearts because he, he could have been a contender, but.
1: <laughs>
2: uh. <laughs> And
0: I'm going to say two enjoy- of
1: clubs as well. But it's that suits. time at the middle of our show where we take a little break. Mark, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about our Spider Slack.
2: My God, we're only at the middle, then. What is this like? <laughs> we're in peace here. Hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Dan, I haven't been there as much this week, so tell me what's going on. Actually, Mark, I want to throw this one out to Will and Kevin, who are
1: members of our Slack. Kevin's been a member for a long time, and Will is fairly new. Kevin, what keeps you engaged with our Slack? Uh, you know, I've been, I think I've been a member for about a year and a
3: half I would guess probably something along those range it's gotten a lot busier in that time like when I first started there'd be days where like not much would be posted it feels like it it rarely goes an hour where someone doesn't post something now Uh, some days it gets really busy I think it's really fun Recently, people were rating their favorite writers of Mary Jane. Like, who writes the character of Mary Jane the best? I thought that was interesting. I have no opinion or take All on that. All zeroes. Uh, no, <laughs> nobody's <laughs> ever read it well. Uh, so I think that's just interesting. Uh, you get people who've read and come up at different times. Like, Will and I started in the DeFalco era and the very end of the Stern era. And a lot of people who are reading it came up during JMS or during the Clone Saga. And they just have such different takes. It's very interesting to hear what people's favorite character writers characters moments what they think are strong there's a lot of agreement but there's not all agreement uh there's no fighting though that's the nice part it's like we tend to debate and then move on
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah i i'm not there as much as kevin but uh i have really enjoyed i've learned a lot and i have a couple times asked questions hey you know i've never read the ultimate run who can you know, help me out. How much do I need to read before i before I'm gonna see the see the magic or whatever? and like or, you know, what am I missing about what's wrong with whatever era? And what are the good uh, silver sable how- stories? No, sorry. <laughs> what are the I mean, I know there's at least ten. What's everybody's top ten silver sable stories? I'd say. <laughs> um, and everyone's pretty nice. Like a lot of times asking a question in a reddit or in any kind of discussion forum is just like inviting abuse where you get the equivalent of read the friggin' manual type of answers. But uh, I've had a lot of nice help. There's a lot of thoughtful, very informed people. And like Kevin says, I think my favorite part is I haven't seen people get, like, personally offended that somebody just has, like, a different opinion, you know, or doesn't, like, connect to a certain artist or character. They're pretty... They, they like to debate. They don't like to dominate. I guess is 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 what I like. Um, so I really I really enjoyed it. It's a nice community.
1: Well, I'm thrilled that you guys are a part of that community uh, and and contributing. Um, you know more than my co host does. Uh, but. <laughs> 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 Oh, for those listening at home, Mark just gave me the biggest stink <laughs> eye. But yeah, I mean, it's a lot of fun. And and, and speaking of Mark, uh, we you know we have a conventions chat in the Slack uh, where people can talk about the conventions. And Mark, you wanted to talk about a convention that's upcoming.
2: Yeah, I, I, I do. This is this is plugging a little bit of uh, local, and when I say local, I mean like hyper local. They literally do this convention down the street from where I live. Uh, It's called Hurricane. It's in East Rockaway, New York on Long Island. Uh, And they're doing they're actually doing two of them this year. They usually do it in November, but this time they're doing the first one on June 17th. And it's at uh, Bethany Church uh, in East Rockaway. And uh, this uh, East Rockaway was very hard hit uh during superstorm sandy in 2011 and uh hurricanes their their proceeds actually go to helping to rebuild and, and you know h- people who lost their homes or lost a lot of their possessions uh during superstorm sandy I know it was over 10 years ago now but people are still kind of recovering and and digging out from that it was a really bad hurricane storm you know here in New York um you know in 2012 so you know if you're in you know nassau county long island and want to check out some some comics I, I know keith williams who was on our, uh, our our show from terrificon uh last summer he sometimes appears at Huracan. i'm not sure if he's coming back for this one but he he will be there from because he's a local person as well but, you know come check out Huracan. so thank you for letting me plug that then. Are you gonna be there, Mark? Oh, I will be there uh, shopping, and there will be a raffle, and I'm actually gonna give one of my books, a signed copy of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, as part of the raffle. Uh, so I know, I know people, you know, they're hard to find for less than a dollar on amazon uh, marketplace <laughs> but you can you can win one with a raffle and it'll go to a good cause so there you go
1: or if you already who own si- one who's signing it yeah bring it there and mark will sign your copy yeah
2: or that too exactly but but also bid on the raffle one too i mean you know
3: i want one signed by dan but <laughs> just to really confuse the the my, 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 what's going on my favorite
2: on. was a Z, our listener zeke who had Dan Slott sign my book. Uh, and then, and, <laughs> wow. uh, I mean, you know, that's that's one way to do it. So there you go.
0: <laughs> our listeners want us, not many of our listeners, but a couple of our listeners are asking that we autograph comic books that we have read and then send them to them. <laughs> Which I'm like, what a useless autograph. But it's so dumb that I sort of want yeah. to do it.
1: Yeah. That sounds amazing. Well anyway. Red uh, by. <laughs> this is to say, uh come join our slack so you can interact with all of us. It'll be a good time. So let's get back to our discussion of some of these villains. Next up, I- I'll admit, a personal favorite slide introduced in Amazing Spider Man two hundred and seventy two by Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, and Sal Busema, uh who also did our uh, our amazing logo for this podcast. But um I, I love Slide. I can't really put my finger on it, mostly because he's so slippery. You slide right off. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Slide?
2: I mean, obviously, based on the animal known as the Teflon fry pan, uh, he is the <laughs> alter ego of Jalome. Is that I said Jalome or Jalami? What is it, Dan? I, you know, I'm great with names. Sh- so. Sure. Sure. Jalone Beecher. Beecher. That's his name. Chemical engineer who worked for Bemont, not remotely like DuPont anyway. It's a manufacturer who created a chemical that removes friction from any object. He gets fired and decides, you know what? Screw you. I'm going to become a slippery villain with my chemical substance. That old chestnut. Uh, he is another silver character. Uh, he wears a silver uniform with goggles and green pads. Very Ditko-esque, I would say, uh, for sure. Uh, so and, and we know around friends love his Ditko characters. So, so th- th- this guy he skates around at high speeds. You know, try and catch him, and he just like squeezes right out, like a you know, right out. I mean, that was a sound effect. I don't know <laughs> if that comes across on this podcast, but I did it. And you're like a, you're like an old school vaudeville. with all the voices. <laughs> Sound
0: effects. People should
2: know so like we do f- not have a
1: soundboard. This is all Mark. Like yeah, they might think it's, it, it's a soundboard otherwise.
2: Um, yeah. slide enters a room. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, sadly, uh, Dan, for your sake, and uh, maybe a few other fans, he is killed during a civil war when he is shot in the back of the head by a, an associate of the Hammerhead. What do we think of slide, folks? I'll
0: go first because I'm dumbest. I... I like him and I can't tell you why he looks insane and stupid. The powers are dumb, but like you're saying, it is very Ditko-y. Like I I could easily see Steve Ditko coming up with something like this. He also weirdly reminds me of Frozone. Like some of his like skating shots look from the Incredibles uh, when he's like crouched down and like, and skittering into a room. It's like, it looks like a Frozone entrance. I could see that. But um, the look and weirdly, the dumbness of him, I'm endeared to Slide. I don't think I would want <laughs> many Slide stories. <laughs> but S- slide kind of showing up halfway through a story with another marquee villain, as like you know, sort of like almost like the middle section of a comic. I think would be great. He he is a he's a throwback in a way. So I don't know. I I I. You know when it when he was introduced, it's like this is the stupidest idea for a villain. This is the fool killer of this run. And then by the end of this show, I was like, I'm into him. I
3: like Slide.
0: I like Slide a lot. I I,
3: more than he's more fun than just like Speed Demon, for example, like who's just fast. Like there's a little more to him than that. I think that works really well. I I don't know how much you could get out of the character, but I like the. I mean, I also like the Ringer. So I got some problems. (laughs) These characters that do feel like Steve Ditko. Visually interesting characters just do a lot for me. And Slide is fun. He's also like when you've got a character who's sticky, it does sort of make sense to have a character who is unstickable. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: there is some logic there. Uh, I don't he's think al- he is. He's a also a fun double crosser. Mm. Yeah. Right? Slide double crosses all the time. That's kind of yeah. Fun. He's
3: certainly not like an A-list villain, uh, or even maybe even a B-list villain, but he's a fun villain,
2: and I, I'm in favor of slide. I'd love like to see more slide. It's hard, like I, I, I don't, or maybe slippery is the the way you know. It's a slippery slope we're on when we talk about slide here. Uh, it's fun. It, it is absolutely fun, but this is also like an unequivocally lame villain. Yeah, what do you got, Dan?
1: <laughs> no, I just think I think there's an art to being lame. You know, like there's a lot of lame villains, but there's something about being so like unabashedly not cool that you kind of come back around again to being cool. Um, There's like a physicality to slide that I like. Like I get how his powers work and I don't have to, you know, make it up in my brain about like, can he do this? Can he do that? No, he's slippery. And the way he (laughs) ping pong back and forth around the mall when he's fighting Spider-Man is fun. Uh, to me it like we've all said it It, it harkens back to the Ditko era And like yeah If this came out in like The like 30 something Issues of Ditko towards the end of his run I would have 100% believed Or that Slide was drawn on a napkin somewhere that Dicko discarded and they found it and were like, let's bring this guy back in. Like, that makes total sense to me. And then to add on to that, you know, like watching the Watchmen TV show, there's a character called Lube Man. And that is Slide. You can't tell me that that character was not inspired by Slide and seeing him in action all I wanted was more Lube Man, and uh, you know, yeah, that's true. Is that on the Watchman,
0: yes, I'm so glad you brought that up because on the Watchman show, which I admired but maybe did not enjoy, Lube Man's insane cameo, which is not really revisited, just sort of out of nowhere. There's this slippery guy who slides into a <laughs> sewer grate and vanishes. I was just like I remember I was watching the show, I was like, "What? what was that? <laughs> who's who's that guy? <laughs> and the
1: costume is nearly identical to Slide's costume. Yeah. Like there's yes. no way that it's not inspired by it in some way. Um I don't know if Damon Lindelof is a fan of this comic. But um, somebody in the writer's room or something yeah it it's a it's a it's a really fun visual character slide is the perfect guy to show up in a dance slot comic and get beaten up by spider man in the first three pages you know like that's his that's his role and you know you need that kind of guy so uh count me in as a fan of slide
0: so will what 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 would you give slide as a as a king. card no um not a king but um you know i'm gonna i'm gonna give him a it sounds low, but I'm going to give him a 6 and that's cuz like the maximum of like the role player that he is. 6 of 6 of spades. I
3: have him as a 6 as well. Uh I'd love to see him in the video game. Let's get him in the Spider-Man 2 video yes. game. I'd love to have a chase sequence with him. He does feel like a Screwball level Shocker
0: maybe? Yeah,
3: I like Shocker too. I mean I'd put I, Shocker I, up I like a lot Slide, of but anyway. I would put Shocker above Slide, but not way above. And I like Shocker <laughs> a lot. Mm. Slide's just, yeah, he's fun. Like, he fits... I, I also think the spectacular Spider-Man cartoon that I really enjoyed a ton, Slide would fit very well in that cartoon. He wouldn't... Like, that Spider-Man is a little less... his. He Since there's no Avengers and no Fantastic Four, he's got more sort of street-level characters. Slide would fit in that world really well for, like, a teenager to be fighting. I don't know. Slide works for me. Six sounds low. I agree, but... Uh, it's lower than Puma, so I don't know what that <laughs> says. But I, I think because Puma has more potentials and a great design. I don't know. Uh, I could be talked up to a seven,
2: but I'm going to stick with a six. Five of diamonds because diamonds are shiny and kind of slippery, you oh. know? If you... Yeah. I also had di- yeah. diamonds as well yeah. for me. So uh,
1: I'm I'm giving him a six as well. I think that's the perfect place for someone who is cool in his not coolness. You know, welcome, welcome the return of, of slide. So, from uh, one character to a team of characters, we've got the Sinister Syndicate, uh, an equally kind of short-lived, I think, uh, team up. Mark, tell us a little bit about the Sinister Syndicate.
2: Yeah, well, you know, they uh, are a kind of um, Marvel or, or Defalco Friends' answer to the uh, Sinister Six. Uh, they uh, consisted of Beetle, Rhino, Speed Demon. Hydra-Man, Boomerang, and Beetle was the leader. And they first appeared in Amazing Spider-Man number 280. Uh, you know, talking about memorable Silver Sable stories. This might have been one of them if you remembered it. It's Spider-Man and Silver <laughs> Sable uh, going against the Sinister Syndicate who are protecting Jason Massendale, another really memorable villain from this era. I don't know if we talk <laughs> about him per se, but we'll, we'll get back to that. I think what is most interesting about the Sinister Syndicate, uh, I am editorializing in my summary here, is that they uh, evolve. They become first the Sinister Foes of Spider-Man in the early 90s in a miniseries written by Danny Figueroa, which then evolves eventually into uh, the 2010s Superior Foes of Spider-Man, which was led by uh, Boomerang. And I would say that, like, every iteration of this super team became increasingly unserious um, in a hilarious way. Any thoughts, though, on this version of the Syndicate? I like them. I think um,
3: this is probably my introduction to the Beetle. I don't think I'd seen the Beetle before as a kid. Uh, uh, And the Beetle, I I think, is a really cool looking. I mean, this is, I think, a John Byrne design Mm -hmm. look for the Beetle. Certainly, he drew the first appearance of this costume so he, the beetle looks cool i remember liking this team that that mini series you're talking about mark i remember f- liking uh the, the sinister what was it called the sinister, sinister foes, foes spider-man yep uh, i remember liking was there two of those or there just was one two. of those because then it became like i remember yeah. liking both of those i haven't reread them maybe since they've come out so who knows if they're good but i remember enjoying both of those i, I it's one of the it's a this is a good example of like a they're more than the sum of their parts. Like, I don't really care about Speed Demon and Hydro Man is clearly just a Sandman, <laughs> uh, uh, like, replacement. The Mud Monster. Rhino's... No, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't need the Mud Monster. Rhino's pretty cool. Boomerang's kind of lame. He's not even as, like, cool as the Flash Boomerang. I like humorous Boomerang. But Boomerang as a serious villain doesn't do much for me. But I like this team. I like them as a team. I think it works well. They're less interesting apart. So it works. I mean, I wouldn't want to see them again as this team because I like Beatle as a hero now, uh, Mach 1 or whatever number he's up to. Uh, But I like the Sinister Syndicate. I like them. I'm I'm in favor of
0: this team. Silly little duds, (laughs) and I don't need them the way they are now. Promoted up to jokes? I love it. But right as they are here, keep next. Mm.
2: I would just Mm. say anything that led to one of my favorite series – of comics like of the modern era has some cachet but th- they are they're pretty duddy here in this one issue um, so we'll 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 take that into account for my grade what about you Dan
1: I'll say you know I am an unabashed fan of the friends defalco run and this issue is the one i always skip wow. i just really think it's boring i i i actually disagree with you Kevin i think together they are all less interesting even Hydro Man, you know, this is the appearance of the, the really redesigned Rhino costume, which I could do with less of. Yes, it's um, a bad costume. I just think this issue feels overstuffed and I just don't care about anybody's individual personalities in this. Um, I I think you're right, Mark. It would go on to become something great. I don't know that the idea truly began here for that yeah, I I am I'm not a fan of this. I'm gonna get straight to my number. This is a two for me. I I'm not a fan of the team. Wow, it's
3: a two for me too. Ooh.
1: Two of clubs. Real
3: quick rebuttal, and then I'll give my number. <laughs> I just I feel like first the superior foes also only bring two of these guys back. It feels like a completely different team just using the name. Sure, but uh, and boomerang's a completely different character by that point. The Speed demon's the only one who. Even resembles what he is in this issue. I think Speed Demon's boring. I think Hydro Man's boring. I think Boomerang at this time is boring. And so, like, I don't know. It, putting them together does something with him. And Beetle, as fun as he is, like, mostly had been used, like, sort of as, like, an Iron Manish ish type villain at this mm-hmm. point more. And he's not really – he's not good enough to be an Iron Man villain when it comes to guys in powered suits. So, like, he's better here. I like him as sort of a leader. I don't know. Well – I'm a, I'm way out line. I'm giving it a jack.
2: Whoa, jack of hearts because I love whoa. him. Oh, I mean, whoa, you were, saying, you were saying you're out of line. I was like, well, he might be aligned with me, and I'm like, nope, no, he's not. He's not aligned with me. <laughs> I, I'm giving them a six. I don't love this story. I, like this story is probably a two or a three for me, but like I I I, yeah, I, I, I agree with I'm grading what they would become. I mean, like. Superior foes, I would give a king or an ace even because I, I mean, I love that that whole series that much. For those who don't think I like anything that Nick Spencer ever did on Spider-Man books, yeah. I mean, I bought both those miniseries, and I think I bought it
3: because these characters appealed to me, man. Uh, The team appealed to me. Again, the characters don't. A Hydroman miniseries, I wouldn't even. I mean, look, I'm (laughs) still
2: trying to find the Silver Sable fan, but at least I found the Sinister Syndicate fan. So we, we, we are there. We've we've made it, Dan. We've done it. All right, it's over.
1: Well our next character is headed to the silver screen uh, In a uh, a few short months Uh, That is The Spot Jonathan Owen First appeared in Spectacular 97 Created by Al Milgram and Herb Trimpe We're moving out of Ron Friend's
2: And Tom DeFalco's territory Uh, Mark tell us about The Spot I mean, you know, famously based on the animal, the leopard, who is known for his spots. No, not at all. (laughs) Like you said, was not created by the Falcon and friends. Uh, The spot is Dr. Jonathan Owen, an MIT scientist who tried to recreate Cloak's dark dimension, but instead had a radioactive accident, which adhered portals to his skin, turning him into the spot. I mean, and his powers, he can enter in and out of portals. Mainly been used as a punchline, but, you know, not for nothing. Has had some success against Spider-Man and generally doesn't lose unless he kind of like you know is foisted on his own petard he did go on to form the spider-man revenge squad known as the legion of losers with such luminaries as gibbon kangaroo kangaroo and grizzly aka villains from the jerry conway villains episode the the bad bad guys or whatever we did at that time um he was also used in superior foes of spider-man again as a punchline, and again was used by nick spencer as a way for Kingpin and Norman osborne to trap Kindred during the Last Remains story. I know we always like to talk about Kindred and Last Remains on this podcast, and as you alluded to, Dan, he will be appearing in the new Across the Spider Verse movie, and he will be voiced by Jason Schwartzman. Love the movies that Jason Schwartzman has been in, which you know I can't think of anyone. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Anyway, Dan. Dan, Heinz Brothers, what do we think of The Spot?
1: Well, really quickly, I'll say, like, I got invited to uh, the the behind-the-scenes Across the Spider-Verse a number of years ago. In fact, probably about three years ago, and um, was asked to kind of, like, throw out some villain ideas. And they told me that they were leaning heavily into featuring The Spot as the main villain. And I remember thinking at the time, What? That's the guy you know like maybe there's some logic there on like portal usage and 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 things like that and spider versing and I I I had that with me for three years so to see it on screen in the latest trailer like they actually are doing this they're going with the spot although I don't think he's been featured quite as heavily as they were suggesting back when I was talking with them yeah I mean I like the spot I did not think he would be a big movie star, like that would be low on my list. Um, but I've always felt like he was a character that had a lot more potential as a villain than what we ultimately got, and maybe that's just because his design is so silly looking. Uh, what say you, Heinz brothers?
0: His look is great. Uh, I think Alan Moore would do have a field day with this weird power of another dimension. Not His look isn't great. His look is intriguing. Let's say that. It's not great. It's intriguing. My only complaint of this is just too much, too much real estate was spent on him. I think he's like foreshadowed in 96, gets his powers in 97, then it's 98, 99, and 100. He's fighting them all in spectacular, and it's way, way too much. This is a one-issue villain kind of, kind of fella. But uh, the visuals are pretty great. As the video game Portal has shown us, putting a door one place and another door somewhere incongruous and being able to connect out of it is visually really interesting. It's also used in the latest Dungeons and, the latest the only Dungeons and Dragons movie. There's a cool portal sequence. More Dungeons and Dragons movies? Oh yeah, yeah. There's Those three ones other starring Marlon
3: Wayans. Yeah, I apologize is, to the to the Dungeons and Dragons You're talking about Cinema Universe. The animated show from the '80s or no? No, there was a Marlon Wayans uh, one that was real bad.
0: <laughs> it had two even worse sequels. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Okay, but D and D movies aside. There's, no. a portal, there's a portal use in the recent D&D movie. And um, I don't know. I, 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 he's promising. And if, if it was one issue and not four, I think I would have really inter- – so it's one good issue spread out over four. For the character itself, I'm uh, optimistic. Sorry, the story of the scientist, the little kind of like, you know, weaselly little scientist who's being ignored by Kingpin and kind of wants to be recognized, but is kind of a rat coward. I like that too. That's kind of a fun character.
3: I have a fondness for the spot. And I think because it was when I was reading comics that he debuted, it was like the first one of these that I think there's too many of these, but it was the first of these characters that sort of showed up. That was like immediately a joke. Like Spider-Man laughs when he first meets the spot, just like, like buckles over laughing at the character's name and his look. And he's just like, you're pathetic. And there's a bunch of those. All probably in the Legion of Losers. And I think there's too many of them. I think Spider-Man doesn't need so many villains that are just sort of like easy to fight. And I think Spot could be powered up a little bit without actually powering him up. I think he could be used in a more interesting way. I think he was used in a Daredevil story by Mark Wade in an interesting way. Yeah, uh, that was a cool the story. the details of it. So I like the Spot. Uh, uh, I don't love joke characters as a general rule. But I don't think the Spot needs to be a complete joke. I like him maybe more than I should. Because of when he debuted for me, and I don't even mind that it was like four issues of build up. Like I remember as a kid being like, "Oh, when, what are he going to do with these powers?" And he sort of shows up and he's immediately joke, and then sort of wins, and then gets his clock cleaned. Uh, I remember just being like, "Oh, I didn't. This was not how, where I thought this story was going. Maybe it wasn't where it was planned to going. I don't know. Maybe they didn't know. They might have been making it up as they went along." But I enjoyed it as a kid, so I, I have trouble letting go of that. I don't like when he's a complete loser. I didn't love the Legion of Losers story. I mean, he does fit for like the the superior foes, but uh, I li- I like him more as
2: something a little bit more than that. But I like him. I'm a fan. I gotta be. I gotta be honest here. I mean, like, I, I don't know if I'm like fool killer level of fan here, but like I I will just say that you know for for all of the like, oh, he's a joke. He's a punchline. Like he's he's elusive. He's kind of hard to 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 beat for the most part, the way he's portrayed in these comics. Um, I do feel that his abilities and his powers don't necessarily translate as well to a static page as they might to a visual moving medium. So I will be very fascinated to see how it works into um, Across the Spider-Verse. But, like, I, I think there's a lot of fun to be had here. I do like that while I, you know, he is a punchline, like, it's very aware of the fact that it's kind of silly and absurd and that that it's just comics, uh, you know, but like but at the same time, it's just comics. But like, hey, like he very rarely gets beaten by Spider-Man clean. You know what I mean? Like he's moving around. So I, I, I like the spot. That's 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 the bottom line. I like the spot.
1: I like the spot, too. I like that he's used as like a comedy character, Um, but I would love to see. Like someone play with the body horror elements of of the spot a bit more. Uh, Will you were saying Alan Moore would have a field day, and uh, uh, I I do think there is really something there. Um, in Mark Wade's Daredevil, there you know Daredevil's radar sense doesn't see the holes; it just perceives like emptiness in the spot. And so you can see his body kind of carved into with daredevil's radar sense. And I've always held that visual of the spot in my, my brain. And I would love to see someone explore like really doing something kind of disturbing with the spot. But as he is, I think he's a fun character and I'm always kind of tickled when he shows up, but no one's really done anything substantial with him. I don't really think in Spider-Man mythos since his origin uh, story. So um I'm I'm curious to see where it'll go. So Will, why don't we do a quick round robin of reviews here? Just real quick, let's
3: imagine Alan Moore saying, I'm gonna I'm gonna do comics again. I've changed my mind. I'm doing a six issue spot miniseries. <laughs> wait, wait, it'd be
2: incredible. You need to do my Alan Moore voice? Yeah, let's hear Alan yeah, yeah, Moore let's hear more. To, we need to do the sixth issue I don't know how. Alan He's like British, right? <laughs> <laughs> he is British. Yes, was that British? No, I don't know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like Goodfellas.
0: Boy, yeah, I was going to say
1: like uh, that was like Colonel Kurtz.
3: <laughs> still think we counted as one of his it's a thousand count, voices. Yeah, it counts. So, put it up. It
2: He's count, as late put it it on the counts. board. Put it on the board.
0: All Good right. luck. Keep um, a counter in the corner. I give the spot a six. Uh, no, I'm doing seven. I give the spot a seven of diamonds. Ten. Wow. wow. I like the spot. Wow. I, I, enjoy, I enjoy him. I would be happy
3: to see more done with him. I think there's potential there. He's fun. I like him. No no
2: complaints. No notes. A ten of uh, a spades because spot's... I'm right there with you. Ten of ten of clubs, because I feel like uh, every one of those little uh, like circles at the end of a club is like one of his spots.
1: I'm giving him a nine, but it's that card that some kid hole punched into, and you'll ne- you'll never be able to not spot it in the deck. Um, so, anyway, uh, moving on from the spot to someone of a completely different emotional tone. Uh, It is the Sin Eater, uh, who first appeared in Spectacular Spider-Man number 107, created by Peter David and Rick Buckler. Sin Eater, Mark, tell us a little bit about this guy.
2: Yeah, he uh, it's uh, Stan Carter, who was a former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent turned NYPD detective during his S.H.I.E.L.D. days, received a version of like not the super serum, but like a like a a shot of some sort that enhanced his strength and endurance. Um, But, you know, that program was eventually discontinued and, of course, kind of left him uh, somewhat uh, emotionally abandoned, and you know, whenever you do that to a character, he becomes very unhinged and kind of crazy. And in this case, he uh, he was on the NYPD. His partner was killed, uh, and he became the Sin Eater, which means that he uh, murdered anyone who sinned uh, by abusing their authority. Um, this was, of course, part of um, the Peter David run on Spectacular Spider Man, which was meant to kind of bring a Darker, more grittier tone. Uh, it's a Spider Man comics, you know, when the when each of the different uh books was kind of having their own persona. Probably one of the most famous Spider-Man stories of all time. The Sin Eater kills Detective Gene DeWolf. Then uh, that that storyline was uh, further utilized during the DeFalco Friends run. I think it was during, was it the the Mephisto issue or one of them where where Peter is kind of like reliving his traumas and he talks about when he like jumps up and over a shotgun blast from the Sin Eater and kills uh, an innocent person behind him. For all you Dan slot Run fans, is this is proto-massacre, a.k.a. a soulless killer, who uh, kind of challenged Spider-Man's version of morality and how do you approach someone who just has no filter to just kill and destroy. He would return uh, a few years later in another Peter David story on Spectacular. At this point, he's kind of broken down because he has been he was beaten so badly, uh, physically beaten so badly by Spider-Man during that uh, initial Gene DeWolf story. And he kind of ends that story by going down in a hail of gunfire because he's just goading the police officers just to kind of free him from the persona of the Sin Eater. And then we really would never see him again until uh, Nick Spencer was like, no, 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 I need to retcon this man's story because I need to fix it. And he brings the Sin Eater back as a henchman of Kindred who cleans Villains of their sins, most notably Norman Osborne. Uh, and now, apparently, Norman Osborne is a good guy. So, the Sin Eater's work is like really all over the place and, you know, is all part of like ending the marriage. So, I'm pro Sin Eater, right? No. Anyway, what do, what do we all think of the Sin Eater?
0: I mean, he's one of the great ones. This is one of the great stories of all time. I, I he terrified me as when I first read him, and it's still kind of gruesome. Little, little, little bit is dimmed in retrospect because it's such a cliche for the, for this time in comics to up the violence. It's a little bit of a, you know, looking back, it's like everybody was doing it sort of thing, but it is, it was effective. Like Jean DeWolf, a character I maybe was not that invested in. Her death resonated with me for a long time and the Sin scared the pants off of me and uh, it really affected me. So I got to give props to an effective story even if it's a bummer one. So, yeah, big, I don't know, really strong villain. Yeah,
3: I like the Sin Eater too. It, like, thinking of, I mean, he's like, again, like a character, like, is there much to him as a character? Not really. But unlike Manslaughter Marsdale, he is essential to this story. Like, you need a character like this. He serves a purpose really well. Do I need more Sin Eater stories? No, I didn't even need that second one that Peter David did, probably. Uh, though I will say that taking the name Sin Eater, Nick Spencer's take on that name in isolation. If like Sin Eater didn't already exist, I'm like, that's a cool take. sounds like a great ghostwriter character. Uh, I didn't care about uh, that in the run of Spencer's run personally, but uh, I like that take, but this story in and of itself is great. Sin Eater works really great. I think it's, it's hard to complain about any f- faults in this. It's also elevated the Spider-Man Daredevil relationship. That's not Eater doing that, but he's a part of it. It's all tied into to each other. It's this is one of those high water marks. As a kid, I was reading this, being like, "Well, this is a like I'd been reading all these stories, like this is good. I loved. Hey, I loved the uh, uh, Sinister Syndicate, and then this came along, and I'm like, oh man, look at this.
1: <laughs> so a, a real comparison there. This <laughs> You know, it's and just and like, like oh, I
3: like this. I'm nine, and this is a really fun story. And then I read this, I'm like, oh, like having those stories that sort of open
2: your eyes and be totally. like, totally, oh, you can do even more. Uh, you don't know that until you read them. This is this is one of those stories where I kind of have to separate like my fandom from my uh, criticism side because, like, as a as a fan, I don't love how dark this is within the realm of spider-man you know will you kind of referred to it like you know i feel like if you especially if you look at other books from this era everyone was kind of doing this it's kind of like i call it like it's like frank miller does spider-man even though it's not frank miller it's peter david doing it but that aside like its influence and just like just its impact on 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 The medium and on Spider-Man comics specifically is so undeniable. And like, if I kind of like remove my own personal aesthetic and taste for it, it's like you know having this villain, this kind of like just soulless, you know, you know ski mask villain come in and 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 just wreak the havoc uh, on Spider-Man's universe the way he did is really just. Such a wonderful adversary for Spider-Man because like he, he has not really dealt with anything quite like that before uh, to this point. Like, you know, it's always, you know, for Spider-Man, it's always been about like the personal angle, um, whether it be, you know, Norman or, or, or Doc Ock or anything like that. And this is just like, no, it's not personal. This this person is just pure evil. Uh, and and is willing to just drag you into those depths with him uh, to stop him because there's no other way to do it. Uh, and 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 you know, in retrospect, it really is so well done how they kind of just resolve all this and kind of you know show Peter's own dark side and how this character kind of brought that out. So like it's 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 very impactful. I hate how this character was brought back in the big Spencer road. that did not come out in my synopsis and talking about it. It's just like, like leave well enough alone. I did like the return of the Sin storyline that Peter David did. Um, but more so because of how it elevated Electro. I kind of liked how like Electro kind of like, who always kind of been like a, like a very underrated punchline in the Spider-Man rogues gallery, despite the fact that he's one of like the original, like Sinister Six and all that. Like he really, I didn't feel had a lot of good stories, but I felt this like this was one of the first truly great Electro stories um, uh, when when Sin Eater came back, but but yeah, I'm I'm a I if you couldn't tell, I'm a huge uh, fan of the Sin Eater and his impact on Spider-Man comics. Dan, what do you got? You know, I'm actually
1: not a big fan of the Sin Eater and his impact on Spider-Man comics. To just take the the other point, like um, I can acknowledge its importance and 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 its kind of groundbreaking nature, but I think this kind of you know. It's hard to separate it from what would come later because I think so many of the comics of the '90s became so deeply tortured and psychological that it removed a lot of the fun from Spider-Man comics, and that's not this character's fault. But I can see this story's impact as kind of leading to a lot of that stuff that really kind of turned me off from from uh, reading the character. Um, and anytime Spider-Man goes so deeply psychological it does kind of lose some of the charm that brought me to it in the first place Um, I like the story just fine and I like the character of the Sin Eater and I'll be honest I especially like that second story even more than the death of Gene DeWolf if only because it puts Spider-Man in a position I don't normally see him in, which is having to argue on the behalf of someone being a reformed villain that no one else believes in, that they can become a better person or they can uh, relinquish their dark history. It creates a really tragic ending with, uh, you know, the Sin Eater walking out and and going death by cop. And I find that a really interesting position for Spider-Man to be in, arguing on behalf of of someone becoming a better person or relinquishing themselves as a villain. And um, I can't say I've seen that story really done anywhere else other than that sequel to the first Sin Eater story. So um, I think there's a lot of good things about Sin Eater as a character, but it's just a realm of comic that is not my favorite in the Spider-Man oeuvre, if you will. So um, that's my two cents on it. And I know Mark and I are going to have a lot more to say about this because we're doing an episode just on the death of, of Gene DeWolf later in the season. So it will be interesting to kind of follow up on that and and research the origins of that comic. So if anybody wants to rebut me or get into grades, we'll, we'll go down to Will. Jack of Spades, because it feels like death. I'm giving him a nine of
3: diamonds just because I don't... I'm still kind of going in this trend of like, oh, what I want to see Sin Eater back? And I don't ever... Want more sin eater stories? I wouldn't even want like a nostalgia. Uh, uh, here's an untold sin eater story. It's like I don't need any more sin eater stories. So as a character, he serves a story so much, but I the story is so good that there's it ends up as a nine of diamonds because
2: it's it's worth a lot to me. I see that. I'm gonna say Queen of Hearts, and you know he would be a queen and probably be like that's a sin and I'm gonna kill it. Anyways, anyway, <laughs> you, you go, Dan.
1: <laughs> I, I, I'm sensing a real, like, fool-killer comparison here, right? Both of these are villains <laughs> that, like, uh, determine whether or not someone fits their criteria to die. Um, but, uh, you know, I, and I can understand, Mark, that you a real thing for that kind of villain. Um, but, uh, to me... Trying to get us
3: to turn on you.
1: <laughs> to me, he's, like, a nine. Yeah, I don't think there's anything especially uh, special about him as, like, a character, in it, per se, but... He's used in interesting stories, so um, that elevates him for me. And I had nine of clubs, just to Dan keep. Dan, I this both moving. gave
3: him nines, but I would say Dan sounded so much more negative, and I sounded so much more positive. We both ended up with the same number. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know.
1: It's, it's that time of night, I, I guess. It. Yeah,
3: no, I get it. Well, hey guys, uh, I, I, if, I,
1: if you think I'm sounding negative now, wait till we talk about this next guy. Uh, it is <laughs> the Foreigner, um, another it creation feels of Peter like David. The
2: first Time. Sorry, stop. We, we
1: can't afford it. We can't afford it, uh, um, especially with that spot-on impression. That's another voice for you guys, by the way. Um, okay. Peter, Mark it, Peter David's foreigner uh, first appearance in Spectacular 116. Mark, tell us about the foreigner, and I say that like sincerely. Who is this guy? Because I don't care about him at all.
2: I mean, he's as cold as ice, willing to sacrifice your love. He was an immediate <laughs> oh my favorite gosh. of Spider Office editor Chib Owsley, a.k.a. Christopher Priest, a.k.a. I didn't kill Ned Leeds. Wait, I did. Anyway, he wanted to actually use the foreigner as the hobgoblin. And Peter David was like, wait, what? Uh, I mean, literal reaction there. Instead, he uh, it was written that uh, Jason Massendale hired the foreigner to kill Ned Leeds as the Hobgoblin so Massendale could assume the mantle of Hobgoblin. You know, that old chestnut. You know, the foreigner, he's, he's a mercenary. He's another, you know, hired gun. I'm going to, you know, give me my money and I'm going to kill you. He's got a consortium of assassins called the 1400 Club. Cool. He gets embroiled in the gang war with the Rose and the Kingpin. He trained Sabretooth, apparently. Now he had a quick romance with Black Cat, but that was before uh, he just fell for that silver sable, uh, and now they're back together again. Uh, He also apparently appeared in Sinister War as a henchman of Kindred. I don't remember that, Dan, but I'm sure it was a great story, as the internet wants me to believe. What do we want to say about The Foreigner?
1: Nothing, I just he's I a have dud. No, I have no opinion on this character. I like, I'm every time the name appears, is the first time I know of his existence. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I read these comics. I had no memory of him.
3: He's just like a spy, assassin. I don't know. I had I had no memory. I definitely have read these comics. I have no memory of the foreigner. He had made no impact on me. Same here. Um. So. He's a big dud.
0: dud. He's the, he's the duddest of
3: the duds. He's the biggest dud of this, yeah.
1: He's the new fool killer. He is like uh, he is below two. He's the duddiest he's, dud.
0: He's he, he's just yeah. so empty. He's just so empty. There's like nothing specific. He's like a he's like a daffodil that's been blown out over a
2: lawn. That sounds interesting. He wants to know what love is. And <laughs> <laughs> you mean a dandelion will?
0: Yeah, that's what I meant.
1: When, oh, when you burn. when your like highest accomplishment <laughs> is to kill uh, Ned Leeds in a mistake, you know, like uh, n- not great, not great. So the foreigner, I think we're all saying an absolute dud.
0: Yeah. Yes.
3: Yes. If if you could use the ace as a one, like uh, sometimes you can, it can be both the high and the low card. It would be the low ace, but if not, uh, negative two, whatever. He's, that. A, su-
1: he's a sub two. Okay, great. I I think I have the approval to move on to the exact opposite of The Foreigner, which is to say a character or thing that has become ubiquitous with the Marvel line. And I think we would probably all argue, like, you could definitely tone it down a bit, Marvel, except I'm sure <laughs> it sells a lot of comics. And that is the first appearance of the symbiote in this run. I dare say it's even a full villain in this run. Uh, first appearing in Amazing Spider-Man 252, obviously its origins were explained in Secret Wars number eight. Uh, depending on like you know who you are, its first appearance could oscillate between the two. Um, Mark, tell us a little bit, heaven help us, about the symbiote.
2: Is it symbiote or symbiote, Dan? That is the question. Uh, of course. Beyond that, the other question is. What's the deal with the symbiote? Apparently Roger Stern was the one who said when they were kind of Uh, kicking around this idea for uh, Spider-Man having a new costume, that the new costume should be alive. Uh, And, you know, Roger Stern, of course, the brilliant person that he is, uh, came up with a million-dollar idea here, or maybe billion-dollar, depending on your look of how cash flows. Anyway, the suit is shown, of course, as being alive, the new black suit, uh, over the course of Amazing Spider-Man 252-258. But uh, it's more malicious, Motivations aren't really revealed into, until until uh, Amazing Spider-Man number two fifty eight. That's when the Fantastic Four, of course, discover that the costume is a symbiotic host, in spi- uh, or, or that Spider-Man is the host, uh, and that this is like a parasite that and it wants to take it over. So they remove it with some Sonics and fire, which you know put a pin in that one. Uh, all you Marvel fans, then the, char- the 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 costume or the the alien uh, would reappear in Web of Spider-Man number one as an antagonist uh, trying to get revenge on Spider-Man. And of course, uh, we will be talking about Web of Spider-Man and the start of that series uh, later on in the series. You know, famously, the symbiote uh, or symbiote, whatever you want to call it, bonds to a reporter named Eddie Brock, who is disgraced for faking a news story about the identity of the da-da-da-da, the Sin Eater. So of course, there is a mutual hatred there for Peter Parker, and that leads to a character named Venom. And then we would never... Hear of the symbiotes again. <laughs> and that's it. I mean, you know, I mean, talk about a short-lived uh, fantasy there, right? No, of course. <laughs> um, it's like, you know, I got a, 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 subs- a subscriber list for my local comic book shop for this Wednesday's releases. Uh, of course, you know, when you all hear this, it'll be like, Like maybe four or five Wednesdays ago, but I will just say that there are like seven stories with symbiote characters uh, coming out on Wednesday, uh, including like four with carnage. Uh, So anyway, what do we want to say about the symbiote?
3: He's great. Uh, I love the symbiote. Uh, I I don't, I, I like venom a lot and I don't really like any of the symbiote stuff. Beyond that, Carnage, or uh, even though there's been some good stories with all these characters, Red Goblin that's going on now and and so many other things, there's too much symbiotes. Venom was great, but even divorced from Venom, and I think Venom is such a great Spider-Man villain, even the symbiote alone is so great. Again, I always remember reading this as a kid, like, watching Peter Parker sort of waste away as the suit is sort of like exhausting him all the time and you know something's up before you even know it's wearing him at night it's it was really intriguing and interesting and then when it came back in web uh, of spider-man one i was like that blew me away that was sort of a very cool sequence making the vulturions uh, uh valid foes because you had to fight his costume at the same time i was like this is just like a really fun cool that was issue one right of Web. Yeah, uh, it was just like a really cool storyline that I thought was really fun and really exciting, and it made that symbiote seem like something that would recur and keep happening. And I think Venom elevated that even more. But even in isolation, I think it's an awesome, awesome villain.
0: Uh, yeah, I, Kevin, I agree with you. Like, what's Venom? Obviously, top tier Spider-Man villain. The only, you know, number one of the non-Ditko villains, uh, pretty strikingly. But um, it's interesting that even before it's Venom, this is like a really compelling story. Uh, I mean, I'm haunted by the thoughts of the th- costume slithering around in Parker's apartment at night and taking him swinging. Uh, it's interesting that this costume is a hit in every way. Just when it was a look, people liked it. When it was a living thing, but a positive get, you know, gadget, it was sort of intriguing. Then, as the, you know. Like you're saying, Kevin divorced of Venom just as a villain. He was intriguing as Venom. It's the most, one of the most popular villains in Marvel history. And then, of course, all of the offshoots and reboots and uh, descendants of it are, you know, if not good, at least are always compelling and have some popularity. Like the appeal of this character is huge. And these stories still work on me. The the costume scared me as I read these issues again for this it, episode. It's very rare to have
3: something come this late, like in Marvel's history, and have this much impact, right?
0: I mean, and also to generally, be, you're just mining the old stuff so much. Exactly. And it's also a product of committee, you know? Like, it just sounded like, okay, it was Roger Stern's idea for it to be alive, but obviously he could not foresee what would happen with this character, um, it seemed like a lot of different people sort of pitched in on the ideas to move it along and they all helped. It's remarkable.
2: Which is, I, I think, frankly, very odd, uh, in a good way. You know what I mean? Like you don't normally hear yeah. about having too many cooks in the kitchen and having and it, working. Yeah, and it working and And this is probably, yeah. uh, it might be you it's know, the, the one and only case where at least in Spider-Man realm that it worked. It's the Casablanca of villains, right? That was sort of
3: a (laughs) committee movie. (laughs) That's great. Right, Dan? You like
1: movies? (laughs) Yes. uh, I I understood that reference.
3: (laughs) There you go. Thanks. (laughs) That was more just me making sure I made that
2: reference correct. Go on, Mark. I I mean, look, I mean, there's nothing much else to add to what's already been said here. I mean, I will say, and I talked about this a bit uh, in some of our previous episodes, the season, Dan, which is like... I I kind of view two fifty two to two fifty eight is almost kind of like a mini, re redone origin, but like kind of like the origin of like Bronze Age Spider Man in a way, you know, and and because so much of that is like, you know, it's 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 Spider Man kind of coming to terms with these new powers and these new abilities and the responsibilities that come with them, and I think like using like the suit as a living. Entity and and then eventual adversary is the perfect way of showing that. I mean, like, you know, this is this is just magic happening as it does. It's probably one of the most important creations, um, again, post-Dicko that we have related to this character.
1: So much of my love of Spider-Man is associated with the symbiote and the mystery behind that and the, the intrigue of how it works. It's like. The perfect upgrade for Spider-Man A character that's really obsessed with mechanics And suddenly you have an alien thing That you know nothing about And exploring the mechanics of that And eventually all of the backstory Which is more confusing than I even dare recount here But yet somehow it always remains a fertile ground For new ideas uh, to springboard from Whether you like them all or, or not I think the symbiote is, you know It's just perfectly encapsulated as this, like, pool of blackness It just invites questions And mystery, and You know, you just want to know more about it And that continues, whatever 30 years later You know, uh, from its first appearance I think the symbiote is one of the Greatest ideas to come to Spider-Man lore You know, for all the good and bad of it Thumbs up on the symbiote Just to add one more thing Like, rereading these issues Like, uh
3: the every time Spider-Man would think like, oh, I should go to Reed Richards and get the suit checked out. Like as a kid, that would just read like, oh, you're reminding me of this plot point. And now I'm reading it. I'm like, it feels like a horror story where I'm like, yes, go. Yeah. <laughs> Why are, <laughs> are you waiting it for? So it mm-hmm. makes it makes sense in story wise, putting it off. His life is always so chaotic. But like in reread, now I know what this thing is. I'm just like, oh, it it, it haunts you a little bit, even if I don't know how much they knew. What when they first started seeding him, like oh, I should talk to Reed about this. What that even meant at the time, uh, it was just really great.
1: All right, well let's get give some it done.
0: This final one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's no, no manslaughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, an ace. You know, uh, no. If there ever was going to be an ace for a villain, this is it. I guess you could say king, only because it's not one of the OG like Doc Ock, Green Goblins, but. I, I got to say, I, I even respect it more because it's not one of the OGs and it transcended. It's the ace. I have it as a king. I feel like with Venom, it's an ace, but uh, alone, I
3: see. Merely,
2: I see. merely a king, a king of spades. I see what you mean. Uh, you, you took the words. I, I will not change mine. You, you took the words out of my mouth, Kevin. King of spades for me.
1: I'm going to go flat, high ace. Uh, really love the symbiote. So I'm with you, Will. It's a good
2: hand. Two
3: aces, two kings. We're going to win. Great. Great.
1: Well, I think this podcast has been a win. It's a long show, but it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed actually, having you actually, guys back can I interrupt? Yeah. I'm oh, sorry,
3: Dan. Can I interrupt? The winning hand is actually the foreigner, four of a kind, <laughs> four twos. That's the best hand we had. So. <laughs> the foreigner is the best villain, <laughs> cumulatively. Sorry.
1: Uh, I don't agree with it, but that's how it works. <laughs> Well, we established that I don't know the rules of poker terribly
2: well. So, uh,
1: Kevin, you are my guide and put my full trust in, in you. How so, could an ace um, be uh, higher
2: than a two? I don't know, Dan. Why don't you tell us? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's to say I really don't like the
1: symbiote. That's why I gave it an uh, no. uh
2: Mark, why don't you take us home? It is that time, time for all good things to come to an end, uh, including all of my many voices. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning into this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. But before we sign off, we want to thank Will and Kevin Hines for joining us again for another episode of The Bad Guys. Kevin and Will, where can we find our listeners? Wait, where can we find our listeners? Wait, rephrase that. I have a list of their addresses. (laughs) Rephrase that. Well, maybe maybe the listeners know where to find Dan and send him uh, creepy paraphernalia. But also, Kevin and Will, where can our listeners find you on the World Wide Web? Our
0: our podcast is called Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. It's most places – And so, you know, that you find podcasts, check it out. You can go to, you can review us on Apple Podcasts where there is an insane running gag that people pretend we only talk about pasta recipes. Find out more about that Mm -hmm. if you want to go look at our reviews. But, um... What's your... And guys, thanks. We just want to...
2: What's your carbonara recipe? I mean, you know... You have to listen to the podcast. (laughs) We can't spoil it here. Fair enough. (laughs) Yeah. uh,
3: We've covered some Spider-Man stuff, if that's interesting to you. We've covered the Ditko stuff. We've covered Secret Wars, and we've covered Superior Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Spider-Man, as well as a few smatterings of other stuff. We're about to cover Brubaker's Catwoman. That's coming up soon, or maybe it's just come out, depending on when this is released. Somewhere in that range. Yeah. Thank you guys for having us on the podcast. I'm a huge fan of
0: you guys and the podcast. Me too. Uh, it's flattering to get to be on even more than once. Exactly. We we really appreciate being returned guests. We're sorry the episode was so long. Sorry, listeners. But uh, you guys put on such a great show. You're so knowledgeable and nice and friendly and funny. You know we don't know what we're doing, and we would like to come <laughs> on here and see what people who know what they're doing how they do it. So thanks for having we, us. I, we are
2: learned. Are you a a little. To well, well, that's very kind of you to, to and me. And <laughs> <laughs> you deserved it. <laughs>
1: Well that's very kind of you and I'm about to Ruin all of that goodwill by saying You know it's the end of the episode Mark we're supposed to get to a thousand voices and i think we maybe got 10 so do we want to do a speed round here Mark? oh god no 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 i've
2: only had one beer tonight dan i don't think that's worth it mm-hmm.
1: well tune into our patreon for that content then <laughs> um, yes, because this podcast exists because of our listener support on patreon for only three dollars 99 cents a month you can help support our show's existence while getting early episodes including These special seasonal episodes early Exclusive artwork and a ton of other bonuses So a thank you to everyone who supports us And the work that we do And how else to to thank them Than give them an episode with 990 voices from Mark To make up for the difference
2: Absolutely Dan And also to download our earliest episodes Including uh, my complete run of the hits of Foreigner And interviews with legendary creators like (laughs) Dan DeMatteis, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, Mark Bagley, and more. Subscribe to our amazing Spider Talk Back Issues podcast on Apple Podcasts. I would say it's urgent. Emergency. Anyway, anyway. (laughs) Dan, it's like, I don't a, understand a, that th- reference <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, the
1: millennial energy going on over here Anyway, this podcast was edited, uh, God willing, by Rick Coast The video version of the show is available on YouTube And was edited by Alex Galecki Our artwork comes handcrafted from artists Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, Josh Sutton, Nick Cagnetti, and Ray Sumzer Our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and spider Madge, And our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton so Mark, until you and I both don silver outfits, you as Silver Sable me as Slide, and form the sinister Silver Syndicate what's
2: our motto? With great podcasts, there must also come Dean's Spider Talk. Don't,
0: don't miss the next